0: Hello and welcome to our Conversations with Academy Award-nominated artists. We're coming to you from the uh, Warner Brothers lot in Burbank, California today. I'm Glenn Kaiser. I'm the director of the Dolby Institute, and this podcast is a collaboration of the Dolby Institute and the Soundworks Collection. I'm thrilled to be here uh, talking about A Quiet Place uh, with a couple guys that I've known for a long time, Ethan van der Rijn, Eric Adol. Welcome to our our humble little podcast here. Thanks Thank so you. much, Glenn. It a it's pleasure. a pleasure. <laughs> Appreciate you guys making the time. So, you know, I, I, I went back and I watched and listened to the film again before uh, before coming over and talking to you guys. And I, I did a little research. I went in and, and watched a couple of interviews, because you, you guys have been doing a lot of press on this film for a while. I've done a couple. Uh, I listened to a couple of interviews that you guys have done and, and, uh, and read a couple of interviews. And I, I just... It was so painful. Like I, I, a couple, I was stunned. A couple people have actually actually asked you guys. So this is basically a silent movie. So that did that make your jobs as sound editors easier? <laughs> yeah. No, we actually have had that, that that question. I'm like, oh my god, these people have no idea. So uh, look, so the Dolby Institute and SoundWorks Collection podcast. There's a lot of students, but a lot of film professionals. So we have a pretty informed audience. So you know, uh, hopefully, I you know, we'll, we we'll have a little bit more in depth conversation great than than that (laughs) much appreciated (laughs) um i did want to there's so much that i want to ask you guys about this film because um as i was chatting with uh, eric before we started like yeah i mean obviously sound is important to every movie and we all preach the gospel about why sound is important and it's a critical element of the storytelling but this particular film i mean more so than pretty much any movie i think in in recent memory like it's it's just part of the Storytelling—it's—it's it's an integral part of the of the of the story, and I know that you guys got involved with the movie and got hired by John before he actually went and shot. So, can you tell a, bit, a little bit about how the project came to you and what that what were those conversations that you had with John Krasinski, who obviously was the co writer and
1: director and the star before he went off and shot the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, um, uh, we got a phone call from uh, one of the producers, Andrew Form, who we had worked with before um he and
0: andrew he's from platinum dunes so you guys platinum dunes like the transformers yeah and it was was my
1: i think michael bay who really introduced us uh, years ago and uh andrew um told ethan and i well you know i've got this script and it's all about sound i know you hear that all the time (laughs) yeah the producers trying to get you to do the movie but this time it's true and we're like well well maybe well (laughs) let's send it over over. we'll we'll have a read and see if that's true and ethan and i read the script and we're just blown away by how sound was baked into the script sound was a central character and you know we had this conversation right after reading and we're like this is a dream yeah and shortly after that um we met with um Andrew and his producing partner Brad Fuller and they introduced us to John Krasinski who was at the time working on his draft of the script and uh, so this was
0: an existing script that he had kind of come on yeah the script kind of it was it
1: was a, a script written by um, Beck and Woods um, that plat- came across the desk of Platinum Dunes mm-hmm. and they snatched it up um, they were excited about the whole concept So, and then John came in um, because at the time he was working with um, the same producers on the Jack Ryan series. Mm -hmm. And they thought, huh, would you be interested in acting in this? And... John's kind of chewed on it for a while and said well if I can rewrite it and direct it yes I'll act (laughs) in (laughs) it so that's how they got him so anyways before um he was still working on the script and uh, it was before they had hired a picture editor before they had hired a music composer um that they that John met with us and um before we could say anything John was like this is a sound designer's dream yeah we're like Oh my gosh! I yeah. think he gets it. Yeah, um, it was pretty thrilling, and uh, and right from the very beginning, uh, we just started talking scenes and concepts. And one of the things that really stood out to us in the script was um, the character Regan, the daughter, because she's deaf. Because and she has she's cochlear implants, she's right, deaf, yeah. and just imagine um, being in that situation in a world where sound and understanding sound is so critical. And this character, you know, being so vulnerable, but um, also a very strong character. You know, she teaches her family sign language, which is one of their survival tricks. So, um, you know, we were just thrilled about all these ideas and soon learned that um, for John, it was um, non-negotiable to cast an actual deaf actress, uh, Millicent Simmons, right. to play Regan. Who's fantastic in that Who film. is amazing. She yeah. was kind of the guiding light of this whole film and, in fact, informed us, you know, what, is, what does it sound like to have a cochlear implant Really, Really? Huh. So um, just from the ground up, um, this film was just immersed in sound. And all through, through production, John was thinking about sound. In fact, he enforced a silence policy on set you know really? sets sets are normally really Very loud. Noisy places, yeah. got yeah, walkies going, art departments banging, doing stuff. He had everybody be quiet. And and Millie actually taught the cast how to use sign language. Really? So it just became part of the entire film, the this the idea of sound. Yeah. It wasn't and, an afterthought.
0: Well, and quiet. And that's that's the thing that I think I, you know, obviously we have an informed audience, but I I would say to like people who don't know like this is not an almost silent film. There's, there's an unbelievable amount of incredibly detailed work that goes into this film. I mean, one of the things I really like talking with, with, um, with artists about and writers and directors and sound artists is the first 10 minutes of the movie, which is kind of a critical, you know, um, that you have so much responsibility in that first 10 minutes to kind of explain the rules of the of the of the world to the audience and to set you know the the cinematic language that you're going to use for your storytelling and it's interesting cuz when i was watching the film again i you know, you've got that whole kind of pre credit sequence before the title of the movie comes up with, you know, when they're in the in the um, I guess the, you know, the abandoned store and kind of getting the medicine. And and then, of course, the th- whole first attack with, the, you know, with the kid. And that is almost exactly 10 minutes. So I would love for you guys just to spend a couple of minutes talking to us about that first 10 minutes, because everything that you had to establish is in there. You guys have the the you know, you do the POV of Regan with her cochlear implants in that, and you establish everything. It's just a fantastically constructed sequence for sound. So dive yeah. in. Yeah.
2: So so that's it's that's actually one of the first scenes that we tackled. There was really two scenes that we started on, and they were the sort of priority for for John. Um, and one of them was this. There's a scene about midway through the film uh, in the that takes place in the cornfield where Millie's character is alone and <clears throat> there's um one of the alien creatures emerges out of the cornfield right
0: behind her and but she can't hear it obviously she, she, has she no can't
2: idea. hear it um and it can't see her because right. it's blind even though it's 10 <laughs> feet from her yeah and then um her cochlear implant starts to interfere with some kind of electrical field that the that the alien has, right, and so we start to set up this whole sort of key plot point about the interference of the of her cochlear implant
0: when they're w- close with, by with
2: right. the alien, and that was a sort of important nut to crack because obviously it's a key plot point for the film, and we really had to tell that that story with with sound,
0: yeah,
2: um, and so that was important for us to, to figure out, okay, how is this going to work? And then the other really important scene to figure out, uh, as you've mentioned, was, was the opening scene. And so there it was really about, okay, how quiet can we make this world and how do we sort of establish the idea that everything that, makes too much of a sound that stands out from its background is already gone, has already been killed. And, you know, right, because you
0: kind of have a world where people are already gone. So what is, yeah, yeah exactly. What does a world without people sound like, right? And,
2: uh, you know, one of the really interesting things about this movie is we're thrust right into the middle of this world, Without there's, any explanation. there's no yeah. explanation, there's no backstory, there's no montage of, you know, this inva- this invasion and explaining, yeah. you know, this situation.
0: Which I love about it.
2: We're yeah. just thrown right into the middle of it. And so really we have to start right from the beginning explaining uh, or helping to explain with sound what's what's going on. Right. And so it was about how how quiet can we make it and how do we start establishing relationships between different levels of sound and the idea of sonic masking, you know, how um, that characters can only make as much sound as whatever ambient sound is behind them allows them to make to stay safe.
0: Right, right. So, those, so when they're at the waterfall, they can make a lot of sound. But if they're out in the open, they have to be really, really quiet.
2: Exactly. And so we're so in those first ten minutes, we're really trying to set up some of these ground rules, right? You know that are going to sort of continue to take place for the next two hours or hour and a half, really. Yeah. And then, of course, um, you know the the alien creature gets introduced at the. At the end of the sequence. At the tail
0: end of that sequence. At the
2: tail end of the sequence. And that obviously is like, oh my God, this is like a crazy dangerous situation
0: these people are in. And but that was really brilliant because how many movies kill a child in the first 10 minutes of the film? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, but it really it really just made you feel for like, okay, the stakes on this are really high. The stakes, the stakes don't get any
2: higher. And so from that point on, you realize these people are literally
0: fighting... For their lives, moment to moment. And I remember it's just so because the movie did such a good job of explaining those stakes. Like there's a there's a sequence shortly after that where the kids are playing the board game, yeah. And um, and Regan uh, knocks over the the lamp and it creates this loud crash. And I remember being in the audience and people just gasped when that when that lamp knocks over and crashes because you know what that means, you know, yeah. and it's so so it's <clears throat> the thing that I found fascinating about it seeing that movie with an audience in a movie theater, with it being so quiet, you actually became more aware of the people around you, and it became like you could feel people holding their breath. It actually, the the quietness of it made the audience more engaged.
1: That's Uh, one of the things that um, I think... You know, a lot of filmmakers, uh, you know, and this is something we've been fighting against for a while, a lot of filmmakers, and I think audiences too, assume that if you have a lot of sound, if you've got, you know, bombastic music and, you know, tons of sound going on, um, it actually is engaging. Right. And in a weird way, it can actually do the inverse over time. It can push an audience away and kind of... And your um, ears close make up. Make you, zone, you start, yeah. zone out and your ears close up and you get kind of tired. And But when you strip things away, um, when you start to find the negative space, um, you can start to pull the audience in and open up the ears and have people just hang on to every little moment and every little detail and really start to engage with the scenes and that's what was one of the most wonderful things about um a quiet place was we were given the license through the very story to make people lean in and and what was kind of incredible too is that uh you know, and we got all this feedback after the film came out that people were afraid to like breathe and that right. they were holding their breaths yeah. and they're hanging on, hanging on to every moment and they're afraid to eat popcorn and somebody else. I the, noticed that too. When, when I was somebody, other, like,
0: like people stopped eating because yeah. it was sort of like, they didn't want to make any sound to like give the, give the characters in the film away. They'll right?
1: become the hunted from yeah. other audience members if they make that sound. And in a funny way that makes the audience an active participant yeah. in the, what's actually happening on screen. Yeah. And, so it's thrilling to have that interactivity um, with an audience, and you mentioned the Monopoly scene. Um, we a few people told us, "Oh my gosh, that lantern getting knocked over is one of right. the loudest sounds I've ever heard in a film," and it's not, it's at, not all. at all. But, but, it's,
0: but it's about contrast. But
1: <laughs> because it comes out of this stretch of quiet, you right. know, we've kind of now we're putting the audience into kind of a trance and cr- creating a false sense of safety. And so when that comes, it's that dynamic range, it's that contrast that makes it feel so jarring.
0: I'm kind of curious about like, was there experimentation? Did you guys go too far? Did you make it too quiet? How did you, how did you figure out? Well, well, there was
1: definitely a lot
2: of experimentation. It was, it was, Interesting. It was an interesting process um, in the sense that you know, with most films that we do, we'll do um, a certain number of test screenings. So you a, do a tip w- mix
0: for a test screening with mm. an
2: audience, and you know, get get reactions, so we can gauge how certain aspects uh, are working. And with this film because of the fact the key visual effects of the, of the aliens weren't done mm-hmm. until very, very late in the process. We really weren't able to screen the movie in front of, uh, in front of a t- uh, test audience. It was tried once. And people actually started laughing at a key moment with the alien because it was actually John playing the alien dressed up in a green leotard. Right. Yeah. And so obviously that, so that, that, that wasn't did, the reaction. That didn't work very well. the that, <laughs> so so it was interesting because we couldn't screen the movie to, to gauge how well it was working for people who hadn't seen the movie. Mm-hmm. Really, you know, In all of our work, we're always sort of um, basing what we do on our own gut reactions, you know. And Eric and I are always bouncing ideas off of each other. And we were saying, well, we think this is really working. This feels engaging. We're in the story. We're in the characters' heads. And we're in it. But are other people... going to be able to stick with this because we did start to experiment with, you know, when we go into Millie's head, we go into her, her, uh, what John came to call her sonic envelope. Mm -hmm. And we have a sound for when she, when we're in her head, in her sonic envelope, and she has her cochlear implant. Turned on,
0: right, and we, which is not silent.
2: It's not. It's not mm-hmm. silent, but it's it's very quiet. It's kind of a low rumble, right. There's but,
0: a there's a there's a lot of low frequency in it, but n- no articulation and sort of like no high end, right. So it's sort of like
1: yeah, yeah. Right. right, and more we, of a feeling <clears throat> than right. a hearing, which yeah. is how she described it.
0: Yeah. Oh, so she actually told you guys. Well, then-
2: she her mom, who acts as her translator, um, in the out out in the world. Described to John when they were shooting the movie, um, what how she described her experience, and then John in turn described her, you know, that to us, and so that's what we used. We used her actual experience, um, to to base the sound design on, and for us, we kind of um, compared it to experiences that we've both had in Anacoua Chambers, where you know, which are completely quiet Mm -hmm. uh, environments where what happens is after maybe five, 10 minutes, your ears start to open up to the point where what you hear is the sound of your own body internally. Right. You start to hear your blood pumping and you start to hear your nervous system. And so that's sort of um, what we used to base this, that, that part of the sound design on. And then there are three moments in the film where we're in with we're in that sonic envelope, and then she turns off the cochlear implant, mm-hmm. and that's when we go we take out all the sound. Right. We go completely silent, and we did experiment a lot with. Okay, first of all,
0: um, where do we go in and out of her sonic envelope? And I would love to hear you talk a little bit about the transitions because you, you established that in that first 10 minutes, but those transitions happen really fast, Like, and you're in and out of her experience, but because you established that convention in the first 10 minutes, like the audience is ready for it when it happens.
1: Yeah, exactly. And we needed to establish it in a scene where there was no music going, Right. where you can hear that <clears throat> shift very clearly. There was some experimentation, like what if we ease into it but um, we really fought for let's do it right on the cut to her, Hard cut, boom right. into her, so it's super super clear.
0: That, her persp- that, that it's you're, her you're perspective. That you're now her, in her perspective. We're now
1: in her yeah.
2: shoes. Yeah, it was interesting because um, we we mentioned you know the first two scenes that we started with were the were the opening ten minutes, and the scene in the cornfield, and it right. was this scene in the cornfield where we first experimented with with going. Straight into her sonic envelope. So we're really hearing what she hears, and we did that because it was so important To tell the story of what's going on with the interference between her cochlear implant Mm -hmm. and and this the biology of this alien creature and We're like, oh, this is gonna be cool. This is gonna be cool, but we need to set it up early in the movie
0: we can't do it there for the first time. So then, right.
2: so then, when we went back and started working on the first ten minutes, we looked for the first place where, where can we set this up?
0: Oh, so that actually wasn't part of the original design of that first ten minutes. Was her audio POV? No. no. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that came out of the editorial process for you yeah. guys.
2: Very much so, and it's, Very cool. it, it was an interesting process. Um, There were a lot of things that came out of the editorial process. Another thing we we realized early on when we first started working on that that scene in the cornfield Was you know, so we go into her point of view and then we also go into the the sonic point of view of the creature Mm -hmm. um, Because these creatures have hypersensitive hearing and we wanted to get that point uh, across and so there's a point where the ear opens up sort of fillets open and we zoom in and we do the same thing with the sound where we morph out of the ambient sounds right. of the cornfield right. and into the sort of hyper, hyper real um, perception, that sonic perception that the that the creature has. And we realized, you know what, we need more time to make this transition happen right. and right. to make it clear. Right. And John was was amazing because he's like, oh yeah, I get what you're saying. He like um, got ILM on the phone immediately. <laughs> I, need said, more, I need more. Need, I need more visual effects. Need, yeah, yeah, we need to we need to extend <clears throat> this shot, slow it down. Yeah. And and give more time to really make this happen.
0: And you you guys use that effect a couple of times. I'm thinking also about the sequence <clears throat> in the in the basement um, mm-hmm. um, with um, with Evelyn egg. with yeah. Evelyn. Uh, you know, when she's at that just extraordinary sequence where she's having her contractions and the creatures yeah. down there, and and she sets the kitchen timer, right? Yeah. And you get, and it's just such a beautifully constructed
1: sequence. The, the whole egg timer, you know, that's her sonic diversion. Right. And, and she, you know, the family has ov- obviously pre planned a lot of this and she's searching for where's the egg timer right. as she's going through labor. And, um, yeah, and we established the ticking, the very quiet ticking of the egg timer going, and now it's the old Hitchcock ticking clock, yeah. you know, the ticking bomb. Um, and the creature comes down. It's using its echolocation to try it searching for her, and its ears then fillet open it's similarly to the cornfield, and then we hear its hyper acute. Um, uh, perception of the egg timer, which fills every speaker, and it's, right. you know, giant. And uh, in the film, we then cut back to the egg timer, nice and quiet again. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> for
1: that contrast right. just before it rings. And originally the scene wasn't really constructed that way. Huh. It was once we started playing with the sound, um... Chris Tellefson, who's a picture editor um, working in New York, incredibly collaborative, sharp guy. Once he got the sound, that's when we started reorganizing it. You, to- guy,
0: you guys, you guys are making my heart sing. Like making the visual effects and the picture editorial change to the sound. Oh, that's how well, it be. I mean, that's this, wonderful, the alchemy right? of that's right, that's right. and sound.
2: Yeah. And this really was a movie where, you know, sound in many ways is the engine sort of yeah. driving the narrative forward. So it, it really needed to work. There were certain aspects of the film visually and pictorially that really couldn't be figured out until we had... Sure. you know, started on the sound design and, and, and really um, started to find out what what do we need the picture to be doing.
0: Yeah. So I know you you guys both primarily as sound designers and, uh, and, and effects guys. So how do you work together? What's, how do you divide up? How, what's, your, what's your approach?
1: Well, um, basically, it's a very kind of... Um, how would you describe it? Collaborative. It's very collaborative. Pro, you know, we're, it? I think we're kind of our own hardest... Audiences, Did you
0: guys push each other.
1: We push each other harder than I think any director has ever put. We're we're very hard to impress. Let's put it that <laughs> way. So if Ethan can impress me with an idea, like I'm, I love that. And if and, in and the vice in, versa, and the inverse yeah. too, if I can impress Ethan with something, you know, we like to surprise ourselves. And some somehow like the alchemy between the two of us. Um, I think we push each other um, harder than. Than anyone else, yeah. I think so. I mean, I,
2: I think about you know um, my career before Eric and I teamed up. Really, the main sort of driver in my own work was how do I surprise myself?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like that was what it was all about. I want to surprise myself every day. If I can, if I can surprise myself once, once a, a day. day and like take my <laughs> breath away, it's like that's a good day. Yeah. And the really cool thing I found about working with Eric is he's he's the exact same way right so now I have like a partner to like um, not only do I want to surprise myself but I want to surprise him sure and vice versa so in a way it makes it like more than twice as good. It's like squared good.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. But so but on a practical basis, do you guys divvy up scenes or are you both working on the same thing? Oftentimes of to, to... well
1: when we split up, we might be working with, you know, different editors and right. you know, dealing with all the different parts of, you know, our departments. Um, when we're together we'll we'll dig into a scene. And yeah. and that's you okay. know so it's kind of like this um <clears throat> exhale inhale kind of process Mm, like mm -hmm. go out you know work with the team come together now and focus together yeah and to me it's one of the most exciting times when we do come together I'm like oh I got something I I mean actually a a
2: quiet (laughs) place was was a good example of that because you know it was um, it was sort of a condensed schedule and we first started of it started it there was a lot of pressure to figure out some of the conceptual ideas quickly sure. and really, really like get on track
0: quickly. because there's a lot of pressure. Is this going to work? Right. Is
2: this going to work? Yeah. And what is this going to be? And how is this going to work? Because uh, right. there wasn't there wasn't a blueprint. It was like us sitting down together and like figuring it out. Yeah. And so um, it was a really great example of how like working together, we can really dig in deep and just quickly sort of work through ideas and throw out ideas mm-hmm. and get to what's working um, really quickly.
0: Did you guys ever, was there anything like, um, like, did you ever get pushback from the studio? Like, it's too quiet, like you guys have gone too far? Was
1: you know, there... what? we were just talking about that. Um, you know, one of the benefits of working on a smaller film that might be kind of under the <laughs> radar. Nobody
0: was paying attention to it. It's not a $200
1: million mm. budget. Yeah, yeah. Um, the stakes aren't like s- as sure. high um i I think in a way that wound up working really well for the film on a creative level um we could take these kind of unheard of risks and I mean it, look the script itself there's almost no dialogue in it right like what <clears throat> hundred million dollar movie would have almost no dialogue sure. like it's impossible would yeah. never happen so you know, just from the ground up, there were all these kind of like experimental <laughs> risks that we could take yeah. and and uh you know the studio was supportive like they kind of were letting you know the producers and john kind of run with it yeah and but all of us were kind of like is this you know like ethan mentioned is this going to work you know how are people going to respond and the first screening of the film um was at south by southwest right and we were that's right we were still mixing and we just like okay here's where we're at we'll send it over And uh, John flew out to Austin for it, and it went through the roof. And it was like standing ovation. Yeah. And after that, you know, Jim Gianopolis from Paramount, everyone's like,
0: "You guys know what you're doing. Don't break it. (laughs) Don't don't break it." Yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, I have so many more questions for you guys. Like, is there a movie where the foley was more important? (laughs) Give a give a shout out to your foley team on
2: this. So yeah, yeah we used um, we used foley one and Steve in, Bain and Peter Perso. Yeah, up there up yeah. in uh, Canada and yeah, I mean they they did just an amazing job. Like you said, the the foley in this movie is so because so well, how crucial. many movies do
1: you
0: actually you actually hear the foley so clearly? Right, close
1: up foot on right. sand, <laughs> all the compaction and it. What was wonderful too for you know um, for foley to shine in this film was. It could shine because it wasn't competing with no. the ton. You know, every sound we put in the film was very specific. Right. And so um, the little sounds became big sounds, which is... Exquisite, you know. Little sounds becoming big
0: sounds. I, I would love to, for you guys to uh, talk just a little bit ab- about the vocalizations of the main actors because you know obviously they're mm-hmm. they're expending a lot of energy not to make sounds, but they do. There, there are you know they're breathing, they're vocal. So did you did they come back and do ADR sessions? What were the production tracks that came to you guys? Like, tell us a little bit about that. Mm-hmm.
2: <clears throat> yeah, so um, they did. We did bring them back to To do that, you know, it was interesting because the first cut of the movie that Eric and I watched, um, well, it was it was very rough. But one of the one of the things we both both of us really keyed in on is even though these characters aren't really speaking, we really want to sign language. Yeah. we really want to be able to hear them, you know, they're breathing right. and when they are just mouthing words, just the, the just faintest the, the f- sort of yes, whisper exactly. yeah. to, to help connect us with them because, you know, this is such an intimate movie. Um, it was really important to, to figure out ways to get close to the characters. And that was obviously an important tool right. to make that happen. So, um, so we did, You know, start with the production tracks, but then there's obviously areas in the movie where we wanted a little more, you know, a little more whisper. And so we did bring the actors back and and shot ADR with them. And those
0: must have been interesting and fun ADR sessions. The whisper pass, the whisper (laughs) pass, yeah. (laughs) But we got to say and breathing, right? And
1: breathing, and just all like Ethan said, all of those intimate things that just pull you in. And and because at its core, this is a film about characters that are a family right. that we want the we want to fall in love with and we want the audience to feel intimate with so right, right. those little delicate breaths and whispers are pretty critical for that and we should say that um, Michael Boroski, the production mixer did some ec- extraordinary recording on <laughs> set it's Im- usually impossible to capture detailed tiny little whispers and breaths but he, well, he caught a ton
0: and I, I yeah so. I, no matter how great he might be he's not going to that he's, your production tracks are not going to be as quiet as what you ultimately did, needed the film to yeah. be right yeah.
1: yeah yeah so exactly so it was um, Bob Jackson uh, supervised um, all of those ADR sessions to capture all of that and I think that that was the fir- it was during those ADR sessions that um, Millie you know our deaf actress right. playing Regan Um, it was the first time her mom had seen any of the film, you know, just, and they put our, you know, rough stereo crash down of our sound work up on the ADR stage while they play the scene. And, um, John, we, Ethan and I were not there, but Bob and John Krasinski were, and John told us later that Millie's mom, um, broke out crying. Really? She was, she had, she told John, um... Thank you for letting me experience what my daughter experiences. Oh, my gosh. We yeah. played through a sequence of her POVs. Ugh.
2: Yeah, in fact, you so, know, one of the— I That's think, the greatest
1: compliment of you know, course. I could imagine. Yeah.
2: I think one of the most moving compliments that we've gotten on our work in this film was from Millie herself. We we met her for the first time a few weeks ago at a at a Q and a and she said to us, You know, for the first time in my life, I feel like my experience of the world, people understand. And it was just like, it brought both of us to tears because it was like so, so genuine. And um, yeah, it was, it was, it was
1: pretty special.
0: We don't get a lot of moments like that in our part of the business, do we? No, (laughs) but
1: but the thing is with sound, it's, uh, we should. It's an emotional thing. Because sound is such an emotional sense, you know, and it, evolutionarily speaking it predates our ability to see it's so deep within us and you know the reptilian part of the brain fight or flight but also comfort and you know sound is you know it's invisible um because it is so close to us it's kind of like the the you know you finger can't point to itself you know um yeah but um, it's because of that that sound is such a powerful tool in, in cinema. Yeah. And we try to approach every project, but especially a quiet place, as sound is half of the experience, Absolutely. if not more.
0: Well, especially on this film, I would argue even more. Um, tell me a little bit about the sound design for the for the creatures. Um, we, we talked a little Those bit about it. Those were recorded on set. <laughs> That was all lie right <laughs> but you we I mean you talked a little bit about, about you know they would flay and open up and then they, they hearing said but there's there's there and you talked about echolocation, <clears> but there <throat> also there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on they're pinging and kind of knocking and what what was the process of building that their their kind of palette
2: mm-hmm.
1: go ahead well um it was uh, a very experimental process um you know the thing with with creature design is you can never just think of them as creatures, right? You have to think of them as living, breathing, um, animals that have behavior and different ranges of behavior. And, you know, you almost have to think of it almost like a nature documentary, like, okay, let's reverse construct what (laughs) this is. You know, we're not just going to try to make them scary. Like they need to have a soul. Yeah. We need to kind of dig into what their behavior is. So talking with um, John Krasinski about it, uh, he kind of described a number of different modes that these creatures have, um, and which is a spectrum of intensity. There's kind of like an idling mode, which is where they're just moving through the world, breathing and purring. There's kind of a searching mode, mm-hmm. which is where they're using echolocation. Um, because they're essentially blind, um, they use their hyper-acute hearing um, through echolocation to paint a sonic right. map of, of their geography, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, the same way a bat would <clears> or a <throat> dolphin using sonar or whales. Um, so, so that's kind of like their searching and viewing mode. And then, of course, the, they have their more agitated, um, intense modes where they're either in pain or they're aggressive or a, in attack mode. So so we had to kind of create palettes for all of these different modes. And um, one of the first things we started working on was the echolocation mode, because mm-hmm. to us that was one of the most interesting things sure. and also had the potential of creating the most tension in some of these quiet scenes, like you mentioned the birthing scene where Emily's in going through labor Mm -hmm. down in the basement and a creature is searching her out. Um, So we started, we started just with the literal, like, okay, what if we take dolphin clicks and try to use those for echolocation? And we tried dolphins, bats, beluga whales. Um, Everything felt a little bit too relatable in Mm. a way. There was something not quite scary enough. We wanted something (laughs) a little more
0: just to amp it up. Alien, you know, um,
1: De- something we hadn't really heard before g- because these are such weird, terrifying creatures and um, it was actually um, one of our sound designers, Brandon Jones, who stumbled upon a prop that we have here in the shop um, it's a stun gun, and uh, we've recorded it a bu- bunch of times for different movies and wound up Which, and those it have for those that one. have
0: that very specific kind of click that like, like- Exactly.
1: They have a kind of clicking sound, which can turn into a buzz or a purr when you start conducting it against something. Right. And we wound up using grapes because they're a lot like skin. Um, There's the kind of little fleshy skin on it and then this wet interior that conducts the electricity. So we could kind of work the stun gun like an instrument Uh and kind of do a vocal performance with it. And uh, and then slow it down to get a little bit more richness in all of the clicks, and then add reflections around it, and that became kind of the center of its uh, echolocation uh, sound. Yeah. And then just you know one interesting part to
2: add about the that the whole sound design process of of these alien creatures was some of our early pass. Passes, you know, most of most of their sounds take place off screen in the movie, and some of our early passes, we had a lot more of of their sounds, mm-hmm. their echolocation, their vocalization, all of it, and we realized at a certain point, you know, we just need to strip it back, and we started pulling layers of a- off the screen. Uh, pulling it out, and suddenly it started to gel and became much scarier. And it was a great sort of, um, you know, relearning the idea that sometimes less is more, and that was definitely the, the case.
1: The old Jaws
2: effect, you know.
1: Well, and, and you guys, like
0: this movie, <laughs> I feel like I could teach you, you know, we could all teach a master class on that concept using this movie. Like you were you were talking about, you know, the the – the few times when, you know, Re- Regan turns off her cochlear implant. Like, some of the most terrifying stuff in the film is when she does that and the sound drops out, but you still see all this yeah. frenetic activity of the yeah. attack on yeah. the screen.
1: Yeah.
0: <clears throat> it's terrifying. That's Would, actually... Because of the, because of the lack of sound, right? Yeah. It's,
1: it's like pulling a rug out from under the audience. You have nothing supporting you. So in a weird right. way, there's this dichotomy, this, um, uh, it's kind of like how for me, how, like, Scorsese uses happy music in a scene where something horrific is happening. Yeah. It's kind of like this weird counterpoint. Um, My favorite moment of the film is um, uh, towards the end of the film where uh, Regan turns off her cochlear implant because the feedback with the proximity of these aliens is painful. She turns it off, and she's in the back of this truck with her brother. Right. And he looks over her shoulder and sees some sees something and his and his, his face, face just yeah. blossoms into the incredible performance just pure terror and regan doesn't see what he's seeing right. she's just seeing his reaction to it but in silence that combination to me is we just don't get to do that kind of a thing in, in movies. That's perfect. And, and it's, this it's, one just gave, it's perfect gave it for to you it that
0: one of your favorite <laughs> moments is one of the moments when the sound completely goes yeah, off. Yeah. Cause
1: it's novel. It's, right. It's, right, it's, right. it's very different. And, yeah. uh, that that was one of the gifts. Well, I film. feel that
0: uh, you know we should probably give a little acknowledgement to Brandon Proctor as well for the. I mean, the mix on the mix, oh on, the mix yes. on this film is just amazing.
2: It's yeah. and, and and honestly, um, you know, it wasn't just the mix because um, you know he came down very early. We were actually um, supposed to start uh, the effects pre-dubs, and so he came down to do that with us. And we realized, you know, what we really need to be doing instead of pre-dubbing the effects is we need to be like temp mixing the whole
0: movie. Just mix the movie,
2: right? We just mm-hmm. need to start mixing the movie. Um, so we, we actually started doing that. And it was in that process that, you know, for instance, what I was just mentioning about the creature design being uh, there being much too, too much sound for them. We realized that with with Brandon and he was, you know, a big part of helping to clean that out and strip that back. So, you know, it wasn't, you know, uh, wasn't strictly mixing. He actually was helping, you know, create with the design. With yeah. the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the design. So it was a very collaborative, um, you know, effort in, in in that sense. So, yeah, Brandon was was huge in terms of shaping the whole track.
0: You were talking about the um, this concept that they can only make as much sound as the environment that they're in, so that they right. have to stay under that to stay safe. So you got that beautiful sequence between John Krasinski and and his son. Uh, when they're at the waterfall and they can finally, like, let loose and make sound and actually talk to each other. And there's that beautiful moment um, when, you know, the son asks him, why didn't you let, you know, why didn't you let Regan come in? It's just Mm -hmm. that, I think by by the point the the audience gets there, they're so ready (laughs) to, like, I need to have some kind of catharsis here. And the sequence is just perfectly constructed for that. But talk a little bit about it sonically and how that whole... Because, of course, we were talking about the... uh, not to cross talk movies that are nominated but we were having this conversation with the Black Panther guys yesterday like a waterfall is just nothing but a white noise generator <laughs> so how do you how do you engage that with that and make it interesting
1: yeah um, well it's like you mentioned it's interesting on a number of, le- of levels when when this scene hits it's interesting on an emotional level you know we've been challenging the audience for quite a stretch now with no dialogue right And this is the first scene where people actually talk. So there is something just like a release Mm -hmm. about that. Um, We have also come out of a stretch of silence, um, culminating with the setup of the nail on uh, the steps
0: when she steps on the nail yeah
1: and well this is before she steps all oh, right but you this set is, it up this right? is yeah. when the laundry, the bag, laundry bag kind yeah. of pulls it up so now it's in a much more dangerous position and we do that just with the simple sound of burlap bag and the nail little creak, and then silence and then boom we go to the waterfall right and It was funny, we got, right after the movie came out, um, we did a lecture at USC for Leonard Malton's class, and he said, that waterfall is the loudest waterfall I've heard in any movie. And again, like, no, it's not. It's just because of the contrast. But because it's coming out of this very quiet scene, it's the contrast, the dynamics that makes it feel so powerful. Um, So... So in that way, it's kind of a catharsis for the audience, too. Like, okay, now we can. It's safe, safe to eat popcorn now, <laughs> right? I can breathe a little bit, like, you right. know. And, um, but it works perfectly into the logic of the film, which, you know, basically we're kind of describing the physics of sound here. Mm-hmm. The concept of sonic masking. You know, a loud sound will mask a quieter sound. Well, because
0: sound. John actually explains it to his son while they're there. Because the son's still terrified, exactly. right? And John has yeah. to explain to him, like, no, we're safe
1: because yeah. it's so loud here. And yeah. that sets up the way the family <clears throat> saves the mother in in the birth scene. Right. Through a, By creating. a bigger, creating a bigger sound that right. will mask her sound. So... Um, Yeah, no, it's just it's This was
0: really intricately constructed for all these rules, right? It's fascinating. And
1: I just love like that scene where we're cutting in and out and you hear different perspectives within it and then we cut back out and the kid screams, which should be the loudest sound. In the scene, but because we're back and behind the waterfall, you barely hear it. But do, Brandon Proctor just got it right.
0: But there. You, but you do hear it, and it's yeah. actually really emotional because you yeah. know the kid is just having this huge cathartic moment, yeah. and you can barely hear it cut through the sound of the waterfall. It's really just an elegant, beautiful sequence.
1: Yeah. Well, it's kudos for to Brandon Proctor for finding all of those delicate balances. That was also a tricky scene because you're shooting next to a waterfall. Sure. So. There's some of the production is like, I don't know how Michael Borowski got some of those lines in there. We didn't need to use ADR, but then one word we'd pop into ADR just oh, really? for clarity yeah. and then pop back. And Brandon matched it all. Oh, Gorgeous. man, what a nightmare. You'd never
0: know. Wow. I would, have, I would have just presumed that you guys had to loop those whole sequences. Obviously, you know, setting the world, you know kind of making this space for the, these characters to live in. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about Dolby Atmos and how you guys used it? Like was, did you guys know from the beginning that this was going to be an Atmos mix? Were you native Atmos the whole time through? Or well, No,
2: it? we actually weren't native Atmos. And, and so we did an Atmos pass, uh, after the seven, one mix. And, um, you know, usually we are native, and maybe you know it was interesting in, in in the sense like having the the first few passes through the film to really be able to think, okay, when we do the atmos, how are we going to use it? And it's interesting in this film because, you know, in many ways, it's such a delicate film, and I think you know one of my favorite, and I think I know Eric's talked about this moment too as one of his favorite atmos moments. Is you know such a quiet, delicate moment, which you know normally we think of Atmos as like, how do we make this immersive and put sound all around? Fly us. stuff
0: around, right? Yeah. And
2: this is <clears throat> an example of sort of which really um, it's a metaphor for how sound is used in the whole film, which is like how can we use subtlety and delicacy um, and quiet. To really engage the audience and and pull the audience into the into the story mm-hmm. and make them part of it, and so there's a moment in the film where Emily is setting up you know the the nursery for the for her unborn child and she's hanging hanging a mobile over over the crib they've set up in this right. safe room, and Brandon Proctor put the slightest bit of movement from this mobile, which of course has to be made from little padded animals like felt animals little so that felt it doesn't animals, make sound, so right, that yeah. it doesn't make sound. But he was able to put just the, the subtlest sort of movement sounds from these felt animals up in the overhead speakers in the ceiling so you feel like you you're are there. there, you know with her, you're in the scene and i think it's a really sort of beautiful example of how we can use atmos in a subtle way to really help immerse the audience in into the story
1: yeah i think like the the most obvious like cool thing with atmos is oh we can take the creatures footsteps and breaths and echolocation and track them in a perfect sphere around the room and from overhead to mm-hmm. around and you know we've got wonderful long shots which right. kind of tracks, so you're able to, like, really realistically use Atmos to move these off-screen creature sounds around you. But to me, the coolest stuff is some of those subtle details. In a way, those um, are the shining moments for me of Atmos, the little details, like the crows and a in their murder overhead and mm-hmm. the leaves in, in wind. And the, the little subtle details sometimes almost read even more strongly in Atmos. And, uh, yeah, I encourage people to go check it out in the home Atmos version.
0: <laughs> Thank you for the plug. <laughs> well, I think, you know, uh, one of the things that, that people don't necessarily talk much about when they talk about Atmos is the fact that the spec requires full frequency and individually powered speakers throughout the array. And so that, yeah. that, that lets you put really specific, subtle stuff anywhere in the space, and you guys did it just so massively in this film. It's just it was just fantastic.
2: The you know the only thing that I would add was sort of you touched on on it at the beginning uh, of the conversation. Just you know how you know when the movie first came out, many reviews spoke of it as a silent film, um, really confusing the sparse amount of dialogue in the film with silence. Um, So I find that like such an interesting reaction and so sort of telling about how how the general public thinks about sound
0: or just doesn't general or
2: just doesn't just doesn't understand. But then the other sort of interesting thing that follows that is the reaction that we got from so many people um, after after sitting through the movie, um, hearing reports of like I walked out into the street. And suddenly I was hearing all these things that I've never really noticed before um, because their ears had opened up and they had sort of um, engaged in sort of active listening, which I feel like is something that we as sound artists do every day. Right. That's what our lives are about. You know, engaged, active listening and so I feel like in some ways, you know, for the first time in our careers, we've really been able to bring the joy that we have of, of being able to actively listen to the world around us when we're out recording or when we're in the studio working with sounds, just intently listen to something very specifically. And I feel like this movie has allowed us to bring that experience to a wider audience and, and help people to, to really be able to perceive in a new way. And like, that's one of the most gratifying results of this movie for us. Big time.
0: Fantastic. Well, you guys, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today and kind of like unpack some of this work that is so amazing on A Quiet Place. Uh, you know, Ethan van der Rijn, Eric Adol. Congratulations on your Oscar nomination uh, on this I was so tickled when when I, I read the news that morning that you guys had gotten this nomination because it's so well deserved for this film. It's such a showcase for for sound design. So, congratulations and good luck in a few weeks. Thank you Thanks so much. All right, this is Glenn Kaiser uh, signing off from Warner Brothers for the Dolby Institute and the SoundWorks Collection.